So today's reading is from Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. I'm reading from the, or from the NIV. Um, you can follow along up there or in your own Bibles. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and melons and onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The word of the Lord. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole the old familiar sting try to kill it all away but I remember everything happy groundhog day <laughs> has anybody said that to you this morning no o two o two two o two o isn't that cool that's it yeah, happy Groundhog Day. I think I'll just repeat last week's sermon. <laughs> You've seen a movie, I, I can tell. All right. um, two books, I, I have, I really do have, uh, I found some really rich resources over time for, um, that relate to this series, and these are two that are pretty new. One is, this is, this is just a beautiful book, it's a, a Prayer for Orion, it's, it's newly put out, and the subtitle is A Son's Addiction and a Mother's Love, and it's powerful, and it has to do with the opiate addiction, um, and then related also to the opiate addiction is this book by Timothy McCann King, Addiction Nation, What the Opiate Crisis Reveals About Us, and uh, one of the things that I learned is that in 2017, there were 72,000 deaths from uh, overdoses in America, which in one year is way more. Uh, I think the Vietnam War, the death toll was somewhere in the 50,000 range. So just think about that. In one year, it, it, and it just keeps going up. And we know that in this community. You know, kids at these schools over here. So uh, I would highly recommend this book. One of the things that he says in here, I want to use this as a springboard for where we're headed this morning. And it's a bit controversial, uh, but I'm going to keep coming back to it. And he quotes first from Gerald May, who I've also quoted. uh, He says, I am not being flippant when I say that all of us suffer suffer from addiction, nor am I reducing the meaning of addiction. I mean in truth that the psychological, neurological, and spiritual dynamics of full-fledged addiction are actively at work within every human being. Now, that, that, that voice is getting heard more clearly and loudly than ever before. It's really hard for someone like me to say, I am an addict. I have to do the deep spiritual work to come to that place. And, and for all of us, 
Uh, this writer says, the question for each of us is not whether we are addicted, but how we are addicted and to what. Denial of the existence, here, listen to this one, this will get you. Denial of the existence of the addiction in your life is not a mark of moral accomplishment, but a sign of your blindness. And uh, we're going to be leaning into this. You know, the Bible has another word that we're going to be getting into. It's the word idol. And it has everything to do with this topic that we're into. We'll get into that later, uh, probably next week. Give you a little clue there. But uh, it's a tough to convince people who look at themselves in certain ways that they have a problem with an addiction. It's a, it's a real, for, for me to do that, I recognize that. Um, we would rather, you know, in churches we can say, yeah, I'm a sinner, everybody else here is a sinner, and I get that, and it's the theological category and all the rest, but at least I'm better than the addict, right? I mean, that, that might be in your thoughts, but when we say we're all in the same boat together, uh, it's, different. it's a different world, and grace has room then, you know, when we're not looking down on other people, God can do amazing stuff. So, uh, this morning... We're, again, exploring this relationship between the word sin and the word addiction because we don't find the word addiction in the Bible, and we find this overlap and, uh, between the two. And uh, last week I used this, but I'll repeat it again. It is Groundhog Day, after all. We aren't addicts because we use. We use because we are addicts. And that would be a common phrase from the addiction community. And here in church we could say it this way. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners, which is right out of Paul's, where we started in this series, Paul. Uh, the apostle in Romans chapter 7 as he struggles over this sinful nature that is part of who he is. So this morning we're going to look at a story that points towards both sin and addiction. It is the category of slavery and how that works in the addiction or the sin actually. So we're going to go to the desert journey, uh, choosing slavery and then grace. And then we're going to have communion together. So we're going to end on a good thing here. Good thing. Jesus. All right, so uh, the desert journey. Last week, I painted this picture, and, I, don't, and, and I, I, I thought it was compelling, and I got a lot of emails this week from some of you who found it compelling too, that this Adam and Eve, these two people who we are to identify with, that's why they're, they're written for us, to identify with them, that they, they rebelled against God and they were cast out, they were banished from forever from the Garden of Eden, that warm and safe and uh, home, harm, harmonic place that was in their memory bank, they were banished from forever. And there is an angel with a flaming sword going back and forth, and you are never coming back in here. That's the picture. And so you have this couple outside of the garden, and you can just imagine the feelings that they are feeling now. And they're going to have to walk across, and this is the imagery we use, walk across the desert. And the desert in the Bible associated with risk, anxiety, danger, things that you know, are overwhelming to uh, human beings. And they're going to have to walk across that now. And they're no longer in the garden. Life is going to be difficult for them. And all they have is they walk across it. The original Adam and Eve had something like a, a sense of God's presence with them. And they had this promise that, that it's more clear. All this is more clear because we have the rest of the Bible. We have this sense of God's promise with us that's been made clear in Jesus Christ. And then at the end of this walk across the desert is that tree of life that they could not eat from in the garden. 
And I explained all that last week, how that was an act of grace on God's part to keep us from living forever in this self-conscious, sinful state. So they have, the, they have to walk by faith across the desert. You and I have, are in the desert. Think of it that way, walking across by faith. And Scott Peck, who I quoted from last week, gives us a little additional maybe insight there. And that is that we are... Um, yeah, in, our, in our self-conscious state now, we're so aware of ourselves. And the addict wants to get back into the garden. And so an addict is someone who uses a substance or a lifestyle choice or a mood or a relationship, whatever it is, something to get back into the garden. Because you, who doesn't love it in there? It's warm and safe and, as opposed to the desert where you have to grow up and learn how to handle stuff and be responsible. And there's anxiety and all that stuff that goes with responsibility. So uh, the addict, or, and I, you know, the argument is here that maybe we're all addicts, is somebody who wants to get back and will do anything to get back at times into that garden. Here are some of the voices from the desert. And I want you to hear these in a way that, yeah, I've said that. Everyone is looking at me. I know you've felt that way. Everyone is looking at me. I am not enough. I do not take to tolerate what I feel. If I only had, then I would be enough. That's called an idol in the Bible, that, that last one there. But I've, I've said all those things to myself. Okay, am I the only one? You see? And that's what the devil whispers, is you're the only one. That's, those are the voices from, the anxious voices from the desert. And this desert's a tough deal. Life is difficult. And then there is something called the addiction cycle, which I want to introduce here. We'll come back to it again. And um, it, this, there's different ways of talking about it. This is just the one that I find the most helpful. Feeling of need, craving, or longing. That's at the beginning. And there's obviously a, a prehistory to that. Then there's an obsession or a preoccupation. You begin to build your life around it. <clears throat> if you're an alcoholic, you think about where is that bottle at home or wherever, and when will I get there? Uh, and then you act out, you, you partake, and then you feel bad. And that feeling bad, <laughs> this is the crazy part, takes you back to feeling of need, craving, and longing. So it's a, it's a cycle. And shame keeps you in that cycle. Shame works really well to keep you in that cycle. And if you go back to the previous, uh, I don't know if I could do it. I'll take a risk. There we go. You can see why you, you, you keep in that loop because all this stuff is, is, these voices are going on in your head. And if everybody's looking at you, who's gonna, where are you going to feel safe getting out of that cycle? And this is the, this is the recovery movement secret is that they can help get you out of there with others who own up to that stuff. All right. That's kind of where we were last week with a little bit of explanation. But the point is that you get to the end and you are enslaved. You're in that cycle. And that would be a form of slavery when you don't have really have a choice. You just feel like you're uh, obeying another master. Okay, so in this story, and I'm going to just touch on it. This is, I'm going to give you, a, this is a short a shortened version today so we can get communion in here. 
in the story here, Israel has been in the desert now. So we're in the desert. And it's a little bit different. We're not going from the Garden of Eden through the desert, the human experience. We're talking about Israel now. But it's very similar in the sense that they started in Egypt this time. And Egypt was a place of slavery. They were enslaved there by the Egyptians. And God has led them, he's leading them across the desert. They're almost two years into it now. And they're going to get to where? Where's the end of the desert for them? The promised land. Yeah, two years in. And as it turns out, they end up spending 40 years. That's another story. But it has to do with some of the same dynamics we're talking about here. So, here's the thing though. They're only 11 days away when this happens. This thing right here happens. They're 11 days away from the promised land after being in the desert for two years. And listen to what they say. It's, it, was, it was read for you, but I'll read it again. The rabble with them, with the Israelites, began to crave, there's our word crave, part of the addiction cycle, other food. And if you have a food addiction, you understand how that works. And I think at some level, we all know what craving food is like. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. If only I had this, I'd be enough, right? And we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. So God is leading them and feeding them for two years now. They're 11 days away from the promised land. And when God paints a picture of the promised land, what does he use? He calls it the land of what and what? Milk and honey. And there's other descriptions too of, of it's, it's the, you know, the, the fruit of the land kind of stuff. It's a good place. And they're 11 days away from it and they file this complaint. And you see the addiction cycle kicking in. You see the craving and you see the obsessing. And then there's some other things going on here, but I want to get beneath the surface and ask, what's really going on here? Um, four, this is the fourth of six different times, at least that I could count, where they want to go back to Egypt. In one of those accounts, a little bit later in the book of Numbers, they call Egypt the land of milk and honey. Isn't that crazy? The place where they were enslaved, where the slave... Uh, the slave owners said, more bricks. We need more bricks, more production. You're not working hard enough. And no straw to make them with. You get your own straw. Work harder, work harder. And they cried out to the Lord because they were enslaved. That's the place they're calling the land of milk and honey. Isn't that crazy? And so you, you, what you realize here, in the, and God has given them this gift of manna. And by the way, uh, manna... This is sort of close to it, little, little flakes of uh, uh, kind of bread stuff. And um, God had given that to them every day for those two years in the desert. And they're, t- they're sick and tired of it. They just, you know, they want, they want to change in diet. But God has led them and fed them for two years. And he's provided their food. And what are they doing? They're rejecting God. They want to go back to Egypt. You remember, God was not really with them in Egypt the way he is now. Uh, He he wasn't leading and feeding them there. 
and they want to go back to that place. So in God's, from God's perspective, they're rejecting him. And uh, just hopefully that comes through clear. But I want to go a little deeper. And why would somebody want to go back into slavery? I, I did some prison ministry years and years ago. And one of the things I learned from prisoners, and, I, and the research on this is out there too, is that the uh, recidivism rate, one of the reasons it's high is because prisoners choose to go back to prison by committing crimes. Crazy, isn't it? You would think that they would want to be free instead of enslaved in prison. But here's how it was explained to me, is that I know when I'm here, I have three meals, I know that I'm clothed, and I know that there aren't many decisions that I have to make that bring anxiety to my life. And so that's why I'm back in here. So there's that. And then there's this memory warp thing going on where they remember things nostalgically and romantically about the past that just aren't true. It just, I mean, you, can, you, you know that they've, they're exaggerating the good and minimizing the, the bad. But sometimes that, that which is known, even though it's bad, is chosen over that which is unknown, even though it's potentially good. And when the, our uh, imagination of what could be, our imagination of what could be, unless it's greater than our memory of what was, there is no future for us. If your imagination of what could be is exceeded by your memory of what was in your life, you have no future. I mean, it's just, it just, it implodes on you. But there's something even deeper, and this is where I want to go, and then we'll have communion. And it has to do with this question of free will. And I'm just going to ask the question, do they have a free will? Are they freely choosing or is somebody them for? You wonder, are, is somebody forcing them to want to go back? I mean, because why would anybody want to go back to slavery? Do they have free will? You, you can answer if you want. Yeah, they have free will. They're choosing to go back to slavery. They're, free, they're using their freedom to choose to be enslaved. And... Um, do they have willpower? There's another question. And here's, what, here's the answer to that. No, they don't. They don't seem to be, ha- they don't have the willpower. What, what would willpower look like in their situation? It would look like being able to get clear-headed enough to see that they're, they're, this is a crazy thing they're asking for. This makes no sense at all. To sit down, get back, listen to voices of reason. I don't know, but to pray it through to realize that if they go ahead with this, it's not going to work out well and that they are in fact rejecting God, the very God who took them through the Red Sea. This makes no sense. They've lost that willpower. Whatever that is, they've lost it. I have something in my pocket uh, and I don't know if this will work or not. So stand back. If you, you know. um, but addictions don't, they don't destroy uh, our, you know, our free will uh, isn't destroyed by addictions. Because it just means we freely choose something that's not good for us. But what's, what's, what's lost is willpower. So, here we go. And this is willpower, and this is what happens with an addiction. It just... Love that sound? Yeah. No, really, it's just, this, is your, this is your willpower right here. 
That's what an addiction does to you. (laughs) Nothing left. You become enslaved to something greater than you are. Uh, My cousin... um, he, he was, this was 20, 20, 30 years ago, uh, more than that actually, but um, we, were, we were in business, not together, but we were both in business. And uh, he was a really good businessman. I really respected him as a businessman. Made good decisions. And uh, so there was a business venture, and I decided I would go in with him. We did it together, and it was really profitable for a while. And then alcohol took over his life. And it became, uh, you know, one of the things, and it's not just alcohol, but anything that is your, becomes the center of your life, it, ru- it rules your life. And it changes the way you think. And so you choose slavery, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nuts, but you actually choose things that are really, really bad for you. And so with him, and um, he lost uh, relationships, he, he lost reputation, he lost respect, he lost money, and I lost money with him. I was there, with, you know, this, is, this was very um, real in my life. And it's what addictions do. And his willpower was gone. So um, what do we do when we lose our willpower? Well, God has, he wants to put air back in the, in the balloon. And I want you to think of God. Think of God as looking down on this planet. And I'm just using your imagination here. Looking down on this planet and noticing how often people choose slavery. They freely, they use this thing called free will that he has given them. And they choose slavery. And he's looking down and he sees it. Virtually everywhere in some way. What is he going to do about that? Um, and he realizes that, that this, this willpower thing is important to the whole thing. How's he going to get more air in this balloon? And, and how's, that, how's that going to work? Because uh, he doesn't want us to just be strong-willed. We're all capable of that being strong-willed. That's not what we're talking about here. But willpower, meaning what what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, getting us to choose what is right and to not choose what is wrong. That's what we mean by getting that willpower back into us. How's that going to work? And the biblical answer to this is grace. It's a word called grace. It's a beautiful word that has so many definitions. And I've I've got my... But it's, it's God's undeserved favor. It's It's the face of of love when it meets imperfection. I can go on and on and on, but it's a theological category called grace. I'm going to, instead of punish them, I'm going to grace them. And when you're graced, and you're, you're, this is the beauty of AA, of the 12 steps, is that AA begins, the 12th, the first step is to say to yourself, I am powerless. When I look at this thing in my life, whatever it is, that I've continually gone through this cycle, I am absolutely powerless. There is nothing in me that is ever going to beat that. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I'm stuck in this cycle over and over and over again. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And this is the beauty of it all. It, when you say, I am powerless, there's a, the, for the first time in your life, there's a possibility for grace to come in. Never before that. It's the same thing with the sinner's prayer, is it not? 
I am a sinner before a holy God. I have nothing in me that would deserve God's favor. And he graces us. It's the same thing. But it's more clear in the 12 steps for some reason. Because you can picture in your mind an addict just struggling, crying before God. We'll get to the higher power part in a minute. I am powerless. Well, then the the greater... I need someone greater. I need someone who's, who's stronger than I am. I need somebody who has power to get willpower from. The Bible has a name for grace. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who walked across the desert perfectly, made it to the other side, and remember, he did not get the tree of life. He got the tree of death so that we might get the tree of life. And when we realize all of that, when we're sitting there saying, I am powerless against this whatever, and we see what God has done for us in our state there of mess and brokenness. And he, he loves us. He loves us there. He just can't help himself but love us in that place. It's in his nature. And we realize that. And the grace floods in. And that grace is what puts air back in that balloon that says, I want to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. Not because I should, because I want to, because I love God who's done so much for me. It melts your heart like butter on warm toast. Ah, the grace of God. Okay, let's pray. I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now, and I want you to find yourself in this prayer. I'll find myself. Search our hearts, oh God. Search our hearts. What is it, God, in me, what is it in me that I am powerless to overcome? A pattern in my life, a habit in my life, call it an addiction, a sin, whatever it is, I'm just powerless. And I feel enslaved in that way. My free will leads me to no willpower. And as we identify that place or those places, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, into that place. Come, Lord Jesus, into me. I am powerless. I need your power. You're the only one that could walk across this desert, this life, perfectly. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with yourself. Empower me. And help me, Lord, to imagine you saying to me, yes, you, you, Mark, you, your name, you were worth dying for. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.